So Paul is brought before the Sanhedrin, and he stands there, and the first thing he says, the first thing that comes from his mouth is not so pleasing to his hearers. He looked straight, we are told, at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. When the high priest hear him say this, he interprets Paul's words as if Paul is saying that because he is a Christian, he is perfect. It's as if Paul is saying, I am perfect, you are the ones who are wrong. He is, from the high priest perspective, Paul is lifting himself. And this provokes the high priest who orders someone near Paul to strike him, to bring him back to his senses. And Paul is caught up in his emotional law here. He is not only angry, he is also disappointed. He is disappointed because no one is standing up for him, including the elders that suggested that he undergo the purification process. They are nowhere to defend him. And so when the high priest orders someone to strike him, Paul responds in a very emotional way. He says back to the high priest, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Paul is angry. And someone reminds him. Someone says to him, how dare you insult the high priest of God. And so he withdraws his remarks And he says, I did not realize that he was the high priest. This would mean either the high priest was not dressed in his official robe, or it may mean that Paul was not able to tell whether he was the high priest because of the problem he had with his eyes. But Jesus, in Matthew 23, verse 27, he used the image of the white washed tombs. He said to the 
people who are listening to him. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. And so when Paul calls the high priest a whitewashed wall, he's telling him, you look good on the outside. But you are filthy in the inside. It is. Which is true, but it is not a remark that is welcome. And then Paul realizes that uh, he is not winning this battle. And he also realizes that within the Sanhedrin, they have the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And he uses that for his advantage. And he says, brothers, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he says this, a debate comes up. Because the Pharisees believe in the spirits and the angels. The Sadducees don't believe. They are liberals. They don't believe in any supernatural thing. And therefore, they begin to fight and pulling Paul apart, trying to win the battle. And the commander realizes Paul might end up dying, so he, he rescues him. Paul is at the lowest point of his life here. He is at an emotional law. You know, even the most faithful among us can be discouraged. Paul is facing the valley of the shadow of his death. He is humiliated. He is lonely. He is sad and frustrated. And probably Paul is asking, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus when my brothers in Christ are turning against me? Where is Jesus when I'm beaten, almost killed for his name? Where is Jesus when there is no one standing to defend me? Where is Jesus when I'm discouraged? And you know how it feels. You know those moments in life when you and I are tempted to ask the same question. 
You know those moments of pain and deep agony. Even though as a Christian, you know that the Lord is always with you. There are moments that you go through painful experiences that makes you want to ask, where is Jesus? It happens when we get sick and we don't seem to get better. It happens when our relationships are crumbling. It happens when you are caught up in the dark web of sin and you, you want to get out, but every time you try, you find yourself right there. It happens when you pray and your prayers don't seem to be answered. When you look at your culture and everything you see displeases the Lord. When you are afraid for your children and your grandchildren because you know that the enemy is looking for them, he wants to destroy them. It happens as a Christian when you come to church and there is no worship in your heart. Those moments of loneliness and despair, those moments that you try to pray but you, you can't even speak out a word. Moments that you sleep on your bed and all the bad memories come back to you. And you look at your life, and all you can see is darkness. And you are tempted to ask, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus when I am losing my life? Where is Jesus when every time I go to the doctor, I'm given another prescription because the previous one has stopped working? Where is Jesus when I am doing my best and I'm still failing? Where is Jesus when I, I look at my future and all I can see is darkness? Where is Jesus when I'm discouraged? Turn with me to verse 11. The Bible says the following night, the following night, that night when everything seemed as if it was falling apart, that very night when it seemed like the enemy was winning, that night when depression was kicking in, 
When Paul felt as if he was alone, that night when you think nothing is going to change, that night when you are almost giving up, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Now, to tell you the truth, that would have been enough for me. Just knowing that the Lord stood near Paul. Not in a vision, not in a trance, but in person. That would have been enough for me. Just knowing that he is standing near me is enough for me. He doesn't need to speak. I don't know about you. But for me, if the Bible had said the following night the Lord stood near Paul and that is it, I would have said, Amen. Man. But he spoke. I think he whispered. Take courage. Take courage. See, only the Lord can say these words. To someone who is going through pain. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The Lord is telling Paul, you still have a long way to go. The Lord is telling Paul, if you thought that they are going to win, they will not. The Lord is appearing to Paul because he realizes that Paul needs some assurance. Because all of us find ourselves in a place where we begin to doubt. And when you find yourself doubting whether the Lord is really concerned about your life, it's because you want to be assured. Those men that are here, that are married, when your wife tells you, I don't feel like you love me anymore, just know that she wants to be assured. Don't start arguing about that. I tell you that for free. Thank you. For that one person who is asking, where is Jesus? When I am discouraged. Verse 11 tells us that Jesus 
is present with us. He appears to Paul to let Paul know that he is present with him. And the Lord's presence is the assurance that we need to go on. The Lord's presence is the assurance that we need to go on. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16 to 18. Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me, may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles must hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord, now listen to this because this is very important. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul is not worried about living this life. He says the Lord will deliver me and he will, be, he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. He's no longer focused on the life here. He's looking forward for his life with the Lord. And he is saying that what they are doing, what I am going through, will not stop me from enjoying what the Lord has prepared for me. The presence of the Lord is the assurance we need to go on. And this also tells us that Jesus knows. He knows how it feels to be tempted. He knows how it feels to be sad and to be angry. He knows how it feels when you are tempted to ask, where is Jesus when I am going through this? He knows how it feels because there's a time he himself experienced an emotional law. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knelt down. And he cried out to the Father, and he said, Father, if it pleases you, let this cup be taken away from me. And then he said, yet not my will, but your will be done. And then he was crucified. And when he was crucified, he cried out. And he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? When the weight of your sin and mine were upon him. When he was carrying your shame and your pain. 
when he was delivering you and I to the Father so that we can become the children of God. When he was shedding the blood that washes away our sin. And because at that very moment, when the sin of the world was upon him, he felt the pain of being separated from the Father, and he cried out, Father, why are you forsaking me? He experienced that pain for you and for me. And if you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ. You should do so today. You should turn to him today and, and say to him, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking my pain and my shame. Please forgive me and save me. If Jesus is not yet your savior, this is the time for you to turn to him. That's the Jesus that Paul is standing for. It's the Jesus that he is defending and he is not ashamed even though it's taking him through pain. That's the Jesus that appears and stands near Paul and assures Paul of his presence. He appears to strengthen him. He appears to give him hope. And his presence in our lives is the strength that we need, the assurance that we need to go on. Paul here is like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. Three young men who refused to bow to an image. Three young men who chose to stand up for God, knowing that it would cost their lives. Three young men who decided to go against the culture so that they can proclaim the name of their God in the face of the king. And the king was furious. And he took them. He ordered that the furnace be blazed. And they were thrown in there. And the Bible says the soldiers that threw them, the soldiers that threw them were burnt and consumed by fire. And the king was disturbed. He couldn't even sleep. So he, he went ahead and looked at the furnace expecting to find ashes. And when he looked at the furnace, he was shocked. He was surprised. He was stunned. He called his people and he said, did we not put three men in here? And he said, yeah, there were three. But the king looked and he said, bring my glasses. And they brought him his glasses so that he could see well. And when he looked in, he still saw four men. And he said to his people, how come I'm seeing four men? And the fourth one, the fourth one is different. 
The fourth one looks like a son of the gods. The fourth one is not human. And then he said, they are walking in the fire. I can see them walking in the fire. They are supposed to be consumed by the fire, but they are walking in the fire. And the fourth one is different. different. You see, the presence of Jesus Christ in your life makes all the difference. And that's why I strongly believe that if the enemy is going to attack a Christian, his goal will be to make that Christian forget the presence of the Lord in his life or in her life. Those moments that you feel so lonely and so hopeless, those are the moments that the enemy wants you to forget that the Lord is with you in his Holy Spirit. It is the Lord's presence that assures us that he is in control. Can you imagine Paul is going through this and then suddenly He sees Jesus beside him, and Jesus tells him, take courage. This is what is going to happen. That presence is assuring Paul that I am, I am in control. And these words that Jesus uses, take courage, some translations say, be of good cheer. Some say, take heart. These are words that Jesus uses to bring healing and comfort to us. You remember the woman with the issue of blood who for 12 years was isolated from her own people. When she touched Jesus and Jesus realized and turned to her, Jesus said to her, take courage. Your faith has healed you. Be of good cheer. Take heart. Your faith has healed you. You remember in Capernaum when the four friends brought their paralytic friend and and, 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 and took him through to Jesus through the roof. When Jesus saw him, when he saw the paralytic, when he saw the faith of the four friends, he said to the paralytic, My son, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. You remember when the disciples were in the boat, enjoying the moment, and then suddenly they saw a figure walking on water, and they started crying out, it's a ghost in fear. And Jesus spoke and said, take courage, it is I Do not be afraid. And here he appears to Paul and he says, take courage. As you have testified of me in Rome, you will testify. I mean, as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, you will testify 
in Rome also. In John 16, 33, Jesus says these words to his disciples. He says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in me. In the world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have difficulties. But take courage. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus wants us to know that as we go through these difficulties in life, as we face these painful experiences, he wants us to know that he remains in control. If there is anything that you should be grateful for, is that Jesus is with you. That's what you should be grateful for. And that's what should bring you sorrow if Jesus is not yet your Savior. That's what should pain and break your heart, that he is not your Savior. That you have a chance to turn to him. You have a chance to tell him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me and save me. And he promises to do that when we turn to him. See, Paul hears these words, then the next thing he faces, his nephew comes to tell him that the Jews are planning to kill him. That tells us that Jesus was already aware of their plan. And he, was, he already assured Paul that he will go to Rome. Jesus knew what they were planning. And he provided a way out for Paul. Because when the nephew told the commander, the commander ordered his soldiers. Paul came in as a prisoner but he left Jerusalem as a king on a horseback surrounded by 470 soldiers. That's how God works. That's how God shows up. That's how God encourages us and assures us that he is in control. And as long as he's in control, the enemy will never win. 